with the latest SBL shoot around. We take a look at everything from the men's competition with a man who's created a remarkable coaching legacy after a 200-game playing career. Ben Etridge joins Chris Bright to bring you another men's SBL shoot around. Welcome to another episode of SBL Shootaround, and we're up to episode 11 of our podcast here. And, and finally, for the very first week, we have a full round of basketball action to, to talk about. We'll have a look back on the West Coast Classic Round 1 action and all of the results and standout performances from that. Of course, we'll have a, a preview of the Round 2 action as well. And we'll have Part 2 of our incredibly special interview with the Perth Wildcats, the Perth Redbacks, the Australian basketball legend, Andrew Vlahov. So plenty more to talk about with him. We spoke to him a lot about his Perth Redbacks team of 1990 last week, but there's plenty more ground to cover with him. So please stay tuned for that. So we've got a big show ahead and we'll we'll finish our wrap-up of the NCAA tournament tournament to that saw that Redbacks team crowned the ultimate SBL championship team and we've had a simulation done of the three game grand final series and we'll have a look through that as well so plenty for us to get through on this week's show I'm Chris Pike but the man that you all want to hear from and the man that you've tuned in to listen to Ben Etridge thanks for joining me thanks mate busy weekend for everyone involved and uh, yeah just great to be uh back in a basketball stadium and we're, we're playing playing some real basketball and some interesting results and good results and all that on the weekend. So, um, yeah, very, very pleased to be here for episode 11 and looking forward to this weekend as, as it rolls around. Yeah, it was just so so great to have basketball back. We 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 both saw some of the the blitz way back in March, and we were getting ready for the SBL season, and and we had to wait four more months to get some some real action underway. But yeah, it was just fantastic. On the weekend, I was at, at the the first official game at the Wilton Basketball Stadium on Friday night. Really impressed with the venue, and it was just great to watch watch the Wilton Lakeside in action there. Had, had a look at at a, a pretty experienced Warwick Senators team on Saturday night up against a very young Goldfields Giants, and then I. I probably saw the best game of the weekend on, on Sunday. East Perth up against the Geraldton Bucks. They put on a, a really good show at Mirabuka there. So it was a terrific weekend of, of basketball. And I know you took in a couple of games as well. And while the results didn't quite go your way for the Calamander Eastern Suns, I'm, I'm sure you were just glad to be back part of it all. Yeah, and look, you know, the, the biggest thing that stood out for me across the weekend is I you know, was involved in those two games for us and then I've watched probably another four or five just online over, over the last couple of days and it's just seeing that the, how much the experience does count in, in these ones and, you know, the teams that tend to have those experienced players or guys that have been around tended to be more ready to go and more ready to play and those cool heads down down the stretch seem to prevail and on the flip side, it's just great to see so many of the young guys out there getting those extra minutes and those extra opportunities that are only going to hold their clubs in good stead for, for next year when those time comes around for next season and it might even change a few teams recruiting plans if, if you know, these young guys are delivering could mean that they, they feel they could hold down a, a starting spot or a key spot in their rotation and, and that'll open up other avenues for them elsewhere so but yeah just great to great to see some some close results a couple of couple mm. of blowouts in there as well but you know that's the game of basketball 
Yeah, absolutely. And as we go along with this episode, obviously, we'll go in depth with a few more of those results and the standout performers. But we, we were both just so excited about that last episode we put together last week, Ben, just just as the lead into the West Coast Classic and the episode that decided our, our winner of our NCAA tournament for the Ultimate SBL Championship team to, to be able to speak to Andrew Vlahov, to speak to Glenn Ellis, to have both those guys put their cases forward for, for their respective championship teams. And then to, to have Mark Utley join us to, to pick the winner and then to go through everything leading up to the start of the West Coast Classic. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, I advise you to go back and, and listen because it was probably our favourite show that we've put out so far. And I don't know, it's, it gives you a bit of a buzz when you put out a show that you're really happy with. I don't know how you feel, Ben. Oh, look, I, the time and effort that you put into the research and, and setting this up and, you know, doing all, all the stats that we have and, and those sorts of things, I'd put it as a, a similar situation to a coach that's, you know, preparing for a game and, and mm. for you to, to see that come to fruition and, and put something out that, you know, people are still talking about a week later. And I know you ran into uh, one of the guests that we had and he was just over the moon and, and the fact mm. that someone gave me his opportunity to, to tell his story, you know, that's what it's about where... We're making people happy. We're giving giving them basketball to talk about and, and giving people those opportunities to, to tell their stories. Yeah, you're right. Everywhere everywhere I went across the weekend, everyone was stopping me to talk about how much they're enjoying the podcast, which really makes you makes you feel good about about what all we're doing here because it, it does take us a lot of effort and we're doing it out of our love for basketball. But you know, I, I bumped into Dave Daniels and he was like, Jared Pruce told me about the interview and I can't wait to go back and listen to that. And I'd love to be a guest on your show one day if you, if you would have me. And then right through to how how happy Glenn Ellis was to be part of the show last week. And then I saw Dan and Liam Hunt on Sunday and they both just thanked me for having them on their show. You know. It, just it just makes you feel good and and other people along the way stopped me and said you know what you're doing is great for basketball and and that's what we want to hear because we want to be able to provide something that that gives you something to listen to as our listeners but also the people involved in basketball a way to get their voice out there and yeah i'm really happy with the way the way it's coming together 100% 100% agree, and, and it, I'm enjoying it as well. For someone like me, who's a basketball junkie, and you know, it was taken away at the start of the year, and then taken away again, what I thought in the middle of the year to be have this mm. sort of uh, this sort of avenue to be able to still stay involved in the game in a, in another aspect. You know, it's it's really exciting, and, and I'm enjoying it as well. So thank you for the opportunity. No, th- thanks, Ben. Now, that's before we get into some of what we saw at the West Coast Classic, let's go back to our NCAA tournament. Ultimately, in the end, it was the Perth Redbacks of 1990 that we crowned as the greatest ever SBL championship winning team. And it's tough to argue. I mean, I don't think we bumped into anyone across the weekend that could have really been unhappy with the, the end result, given given that it was the Andrew Vlahov, Luke Longley, CJ Jackson-led team. But what we didn't have time for last week, and what I'm really looking forward to doing now, is going through the three games that we had simulated, thanks to the help of, of Brad French up in Kalgoorlie. He did a he did a, a tremendous job, and I'm very, very thankful to him for being willing to help us out. So he set up his, he had set up a virtual tournament for the SBL this season, which he ran at SBL Online, which you can go and check out. But he was, he was willing to run a three-game grand final series for us between the Mustangs of 1991 and the Redbacks of 1990. And to me, that has been even more fascinating than perhaps us making our predictions as well. And luckily for us, I guess it turned out that the Redbacks did manage to win in three very tight games. Yeah, and look, that was just phenomenal, um, being able to have something in front of you and you can almost play the game out in your head, I guess, mm. as, you're, as you're watching it and you can see sort of you get the feel for the game a little bit out of stats. I know not all the answers are in the stats, but being able to... Um, yeah, have it in front of you and, and see some box scores and some, some results was just, was just phenomenal. 
Absolutely. I'll just run through some of the what the box scores tell us, and you give me your, your reaction. So he had game one of the grand final series played at the Swan Park Leisure Centre. So obviously a home game first up for the Mustangs, and they ended up winning the game 119-95 to on the back of 40 points in the fourth quarter. So they had a had a big 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 finish. And just running through the the stats, they had Brooks who put up 31 points, and he, he didn't miss too much. He shot 15 of 18 from the field. Um, then you had yep. Mark McCaffrey and 22 points and 15 rebounds. Patrick Langlois 21 points and 12 rebounds. We had Glenn Ellis 15 points and and five assists. James Jackson 12 12 points. Yeah, and some other other performers there. Sporting coming off the bench with with nine points. And for the Redbacks, we had Andrew Vlahov, nineteen points, eleven rebounds. Luke Longley, nineteen points, eleven rebounds, and and James Tharp, sixteen points. Um, surprisingly, you know, massive win in, in the end for the Mustangs in in game one. Yeah, and uh, as you say, there are forty point fourth quarter, and automatically in my head that just goes. Mark McCatherin getting a defensive rebound outlet into Glenn Ellis. And on the wing, you've just got Patrick Langlois and Roland Brooks sprinting down mm. the sides and Glenn facilitating that way. You know, Roland probably benefiting from being a little bit too athletic with his matchup. If, if James Jackson and Vlahoff are matched up and McCatherin and Longley are matched up, Roland's really taken advantage of that, that athleticism that he would have had there. And yeah... Uh, a pretty quiet game from Blahoff, given what we knew mm. he was capable of doing. And the big one there for me is he's one of six from the three-point line. And yep. as he said, in his semifinals, he dropped 50 twice. So whether <laughs> yeah. there was a little bit of burnout and, and on that big stage. Um, but yeah, that's sort of the two things that jumped out of, out of the stats from me. And then we go to game two, and a must-win game for the Redbacks. Played at Perry Lake Stadium, and they got the job done. 111, the Redbacks beat the Mustangs, 96. This one was won differently. They they ended up getting on top during the second and third quarters to open up a handy lead. And Andrew Vlahov, much closer to his his averages for the for the whole season back in 1990, he put up 34 points, 13 rebounds, and he shot the ball better, 4 of 7 from, from downtown. Luke Longley, 22 points, 11 rebounds. CJ Jackson, 7, seven points, 11 rebounds. Not close to a double-double there, but they just got so many other contributors. They had Lewis with 12 points, Evans, 10 points, Starp, 9 points, Ian Frame, 8 points. A lot of contributors there, which is probably why they got the job done. And, and some of those Mustangs players a little bit quieter. So Roland Brooks, 19 points. Mark McCathrin, 14. Patrick Langlois, 15. Glenn Ellis, 14. And is it Jose, 11 off the bench as well? But yeah, I mean, it sets up a tantalizing game three now. Yeah, and I reckon after the game, Andrew would have game one. Andrew would have walked into that change room, and he would have got all the boys in a circle, and his big arms and his big hands mm-hmm. would have gone around just about everyone's neck, and he would have looked in everyone's eyes and told them that perhaps that effort in game one wasn't what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And in and and as we know, the way he leads, he's come out and he's delivered, and he's dragged a few of those other guys along along with him. So. Uh, yeah, I reckon there would have been quite a big rev up after that game, getting him ready for, for game two and, again, to, to come out with a 15-point win. Um, yeah, I think that's probably more what they were expecting. Mm. And that sets up the game three to decide this championship and played at the Perth Superdrome. So, obviously, Perry Lakes, was, was that the Redbacks home back in 1990, was it, Ben? 
Um, uh, no. So I think maybe you've chucked it there just to be a, a, a neutral one. I know yeah, yeah, that yeah, Redbacks okay. back then would play at they were at Loftus maybe then, if not at yeah, okay. at yeah. um maybe they were yeah, Loftus or out there at Vic Park. But um okay. yeah, look, maybe just a few bigger more more people available at the game and mm. then game three being shifted to the uh the old Perth, Perth Superdrome, probably expected, you know, for the four, four and a half thousand people turning up for that one. Yeah, so. and, and looking at these two teams. We could have. This could have been an NBL game. This would have been. These two teams would have really pushed a lot of NBL teams back in 1990 or 1991. The the squads they've got are incredible. And we got the the deciding game that we we deserved in this in this matchup was pretty close the entire way. In the end, it was a high scoring game. It would have been a hell of a game to watch. But in the end, only two points separated them, and it was the Perth Redbacks 115 beating the Swan City Mustangs 113. And I was so excited when I opened this up from Brad when he sent it through, and the fact that game three ended up being so close that just to me that summed up everything about why this tournament that we ran was such a success so going through this game three Andrew Vlahoff once again probably the difference 32 points and 12 rebounds but he got incredible support from Jimmy Tharp 32 points so maybe he was the difference in the end because he went so far and above what you would usually expect from him so he was he was a, a real difference maker Luke Longley 15 points a little bit quiet um he still had Ian Frame 10 points Andrew Lewis 11 points and then from the Swan City Mustangs, we had Patrick Langlois, 26 points. Roland Brooks, 20 points. Mark McCathrian, 17 points, 8 rebounds. Glenn Ellis, James Jackson, 14 points each. What do you, what do you take out of this game three? Well, I'm going to break it down. As Vlahoff said, I'm looking at one person's stats in this game. Scott Osborne in game one was two for two. Mm-hmm. In game, th- game two, he was 0 for three. Mm-hmm. And in game three, Vlahoff didn't pass in the ball. So, as you said, Blahoff <laughs> swallowed those shots. Um, uh, I don't think he was joking, was he? He, well, he wasn't really joking about not passing at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm just reading into what he said. Um, but, yeah, Jimmy Jimmy Tharp there, you know, mm. five of seven from downtown, perhaps took advantage of, you know, Glenn, not the most defensive-minded point guard. So that seemed to be the difference there. But as you can see in the stats, a bit of a flurry at the end there for um, – for the Mustangs coming back after a, a poor third quarter, but the Redbacks too much firepower down the stretch. So would love to have seen a, a simulated last possession if it was yeah. a uh, a bucket on the buzzer from a from a Redbacks player to win it. Mm. Um, but yeah, look, and interesting enough too, I think uh, to do it justice as well, doing the three-game series, um, something that I've been a huge advocate for uh, in our final series for a long, long time is that three mm-hmm. three game series. I, I've still yet to have anyone um, explain to me why it's uh, three game, three game, one game grand final. But look, you know that's the way it was for everyone, I guess, in in those times. Yeah. But I just think a, a three game final series, you really, really are getting your your, your best two teams playing off. And you know, if it only goes to two, it goes to two. But that third game, I think. Builds that builds that insight, excitement and builds that mystique around um, about that grand final series. So, yeah, thanks mm-hmm. to Brad for that and thanks to everyone that was involved. I just actually think it was just uh, amazing. Uh, it's just a shame we can't do it again. Uh, well, we probably could <laughs> see we come up with something different, but, yeah, it's one yeah. of those things that, no, it, it it was absolutely fantastic. So thanks to all of your work. Thanks to Mark Utley for his support as well, and and thanks to, thanks to Brad French as well for for his support with his simulation. It it turned out well and truly anything better than we we hoped when we first discussed it. And I I'm just still still on a high based on how well it worked out. So it was just a fantastic idea, and it ended up working out tremendously as well. So yeah, and and I learned so much about the the league and the history of the league as well, and the people involved. That was that was the greatest thing about it. So yeah, it was it was fantastic. But as we move on. 
really interested to pick your brains about what you just said. And this can be my question without without notice for this week, so we'll get to it a little bit earlier. Um, how many of the last four grand finals, and you don't want to take away too much from the teams that won, I know, but realistically, if it was a game three, a best of three game series, how many of them would have you been confident of bouncing back and winning the next two games after losing game one? Um, oh, look, again, it's probably going to put me in the firing line of a few people around the place if I say this, but, but really but, but, the but, only but, but one... But I think all you can we... do is be honest here. Like, if you were confident yeah. in doing it, I don't, I don't think that's anything anything negative. Oh, look, and again, I, I only can go on our past performance and... Um, you know, we never lost a, a three-game series, mm. never lost a semi-final, never lost a quarter-final. We did lose a couple of game ones and then bounced back to, to win yeah. two at home. I remember Geraldton in um, 2017, I think it was, when we um, lost to Geraldton up there and had to win um, in, in close succession back at home. Yeah. You know, the, the 7 o'clock game on a Saturday, 12 mm. o'clock game on a Sunday sort of thing, and we got through that yeah, one so okay. I remember that. Yeah, um, I remember that. Really, the, the, the only one where I think it would have been tough for us to come back was that Redbacks one, sure. just because they just completely completely blew us off the floor. They were, you know, Redditch and Robertson bigger and Marshall Nelson and Benny Smith. They were just yeah, unbelievable. And I don't yep. think anyone would have got them in, in a one game or a, or a three game series or a five game series. They were just, Redditch was just primed um, for that one. So look, we probably, of the other four, look, if we said we would have got two out of the four, because, um, you know, Pe- that Perry Lakes team was, was very good. Um, the Cougars team was very good. So, look, yeah, look, we'd probably, you know, we'd hope to get two out of those four, and I think we would have been happy with that. But, um, yeah, look, definitely definitely wouldn't have got the um, wouldn't have got the Redbacks one. Well, I'll throw my opinion in there for what it's worth as well, and I would think that I probably agree. I don't know if you would have been able to overcome that Redbacks team, but the other three, realistically, I think the grand finals, both of those teams caught you on the hop a little bit and maybe put you off your game a little bit by perhaps getting under not not you personally but your team's team skin and perhaps you just didn't shoot the ball in either of those three grand finals as well as you would have but I would think it by game two you would be able to make the adjustments needed you've proven that as a coach that's one of your great strengths that you can you can make changes in between games very adequately so I, I think the other three you would have been a really good chance of, of turning it around but unfortunately we'll never know but I just thought it was it was something worth exploring um but uh, you know, I don't want to take anything away from that, that Cougars team, that that Hawks team, all the the Bucks teams. They they deserve to win the the game, the games and championships that they did. But it would have it would have been very much different in a, a three game series. But that's, that's yeah. And what that, what we yeah. what you've also got to remember is those teams also similar to us in 2011. Yeah, the, there was a long history of not winning, and mm. it took uh, from 92 to 2011 to get back to the grand final. So or 93. You know, for the for those other teams, they had history there as well. So that hunger, you can never underestimate. To make that that Geraldton was carrying the like our Gooley teams carrying the the weight of yeah. a town pushing them along. Yeah. Cougars had that great support down there. Um, you know, Redbacks had their their great support um, mm-hmm. coming out from from their team as well. Time to go to it. Um, but again, maybe we contact Frenchie and get him to, to run a few three-game simulations and see, <laughs> yeah, see what happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, that would actually be fascinating. So maybe maybe we can. Um, now, let's move on to, before we get to the, all the results, which we'll do in our, our second segment from round one of the West Coast Classics, some individual performers that I wanted to to highlight from the weekend's action, Ben. And I'll, I'll just run through them and you can let me know who who really stood out to you and who you might want to want to comment on. Um, starting on Friday night, Brody England at the Southwest Slammers. They, they had an upset win probably over the Magic and Brody England, 24 points, 8 rebounds. And he's one of these young guys that will really benefit from the responsibility he'll be given. Connor Minchinson at the Willardton Tigers, who is somebody who now that there's no no import running that point guard spot or 
I guess, no experienced player like Jackson Hussey. He'll be given plenty of chances now with Willison. And over their two games, he scored 32 points and was really exciting. Exciting. At the East Perth Eagles, they played two games as well. And, and Kieran Berry, another guard who has huge potential, he put up 36 points and 12 assists. Tom Atkinson, he's a, he's a player that has absolutely come from nowhere. But in the two games for Mandurah on the weekend, he delivered 45 points and 26 rebounds. And also for Mandurah, Josh Hunt, who's made the move from, from Geraldton, he had 30, 30 points over the two games. And then a couple of more experienced players. So Jay Bowie at the Lakeside Lightning, 45 points, 21 rebounds across the two games. Lachlan Cummings up at the Wolves, 26 points in their win on Friday night. Liam Hunt, the reigning grand final MVP, 40 points and 19 rebounds over, over the two games for the Bucks, alongside his brother Jesse, which it was really exciting to see those two play together in front of Dan on Sunday. And Jackson Hussey for the Flames, 25 points and six rebounds too. Um, anyone really stand out there, there to you? Oh, the the two boys that I had firsthand, you know, playing against Connor Minchiton was phenomenal for us. He's mm. uh, he's been uh, always that kid that come off the bench for Willerton and, and hit a couple of threes. Um, in in our game, he came out and actually blew us off the floor. So you know, he's going to relish these extra opportunities. And um, the guy that I was really excited to coach, Kieran Berry, took the game on against us. He was laid like a man possessed. He he ran the last uh, the last quarter to a tee and and got the people the ball that needed to get the ball and um, was was really exciting to to see him actually sort of nothing against East Perth recruiting but you know mm. you get Sunday deck in for four games and an import come in halfway through and yep. you know all these things Kieran's sort of been left a little bit of um, treading water there uh, I think he's really going to relish that opportunity that um, that he's been given and again the, the Hunt boys are going to be a handful for everyone <laughs> this year as long yep. as they're together um, and throw in Carter Cook <laughs> that's yep. a huge huge team and oh, across the line you know they're, they're big anyway so um, mm-hmm. yeah but those two boys you know dropping 40, 70 points across two games um, that's going to be very hard for teams to combat it was quite a sizable point guard when Carter got on the floor for the, the few minutes that he did on, on Sunday yeah uh, a few people <laughs> were sending Mark a few messages and saying you know he's the biggest point guard in the league at the moment uh, about <laughs> six foot four six foot five and yeah. you know and he'll get what he wants he'll put yeah. them in spots he's a smart he's always played that way uh, yeah and I think they'll really benefit like another guy that's going to contribute to their juniors by teaching them how to play the game the right yeah, way for sure all right so that, let's take a break for, for this first segment this week on SBL shoot around and when we come back we'll go through all of the results and 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 all the standout performers from around one of the West Coast Classic. Okay, continuing on here on SBR Shoot Around now, Ben, and this is what we've been waiting 11 weeks for. We've got round one results to, to look forward to from the West Coast Classic, and starting on Friday night down at Eton, a little bit of a surprise result. Well done to Mark Worthington for getting getting the first win on the board in his first game as coach. His Southwest Slammers beat the Mandurah Magic 66-62. to yeah, and look, probably we, we expected it was going to be a close one. And in speaking to a couple of people that spoke to the, the coaches, it was a bit scrappy. But what both these coaches got was an opportunity to coach their teams down the stretch in a close game decided by four points. That's going to make them better coaches and it's going to make their players players better in the long mm-hmm. run. So, yeah, look, positive signs down there for both teams. Um, and again, the coaches getting to do their job. Now, this one we thought would be one of the best games of the round, and it probably probably turned out that way. Um, the Perry Lakes Hawks, 85, beat the Warwick Senators in a close one, 83. Yeah, and I watched the last uh, five minutes of this game, and it was a really interesting finish. It was almost as if no one wanted to actually win the game. 
Uh, lots of rust there in their execution and, and fundamentals. You know, Caleb Davis misses a layup. There was a turnover on a classic Perry Lakes backdoor cut out of a timeout. Mm-hmm. The pass just wasn't on the money. Wani came down and sort of out of a bit of a broken play, shot a 25-footer. Ryan Smith missed a corner triple. And, and that, this all happened in the last 50-odd seconds. And uh, <laughs> it was almost, you know, the, the score stayed the same. No one scored. And it was a two-point game uh, for that last 50-odd seconds. So, um, yeah, look. Two quality teams. You can see they're around the mark. Uh, but, yeah, one of those ones that I was talking about where the emotions and all that time sitting out um, probably didn't do it justice. Mm. Now, I was at this next game at Willington Basketball Stadium and they've done a terrific job with the redevelopment there and they've got double the amount of courts that they used to have. So that's great for their, their wobble programs and their junior programs. But the show court itself was was tremendous. Plenty of seating there. Um, they got two really good scoreboards either side of the court. Um, it's everything you'd expect from a, a brand new venue. So I'm very impressed. And they got over 500 people into the into the venue for the night. And yeah, I, I couldn't, have, couldn't have been more impressed. Um, but the Lakeside Lightning ruined the party a little bit. 75 to 67 win over 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 Williton. You know, uh, really the two senior guys from Lakeside, Vigor and Bowie, were terrific. But I was excited by their young young kids. So Rowan McKenzie, we've seen for a couple of years now, but he looks ready to take the next step. And and Caden Melsey came up with some really big plays late as well. And I think that's what would have been most impressive for Dave Daniels afterwards because you you know what you're getting from Vigor and Bowie, but for his young guys to step up and get a first up win, I think he would have been pretty happy. Yeah, and uh, as you said, there's opportunities uh, are plenty for these younger kids, and maybe the emotions of the night, the big, the big, big event, uh, maybe got to the Tigers in this one, and um, they didn't quite get the result that they that they wanted. No, they didn't. But yeah, as we said, good signs for Willison still, and even more so the next night when you saw them play, which we'll get to. Also on Friday, the game that you saw, you were. You were sitting on the bench for this one, a tight one as well. The East Perth Eagles, 87, beat the Calamundra and Suns, 84. Yeah, and as I spoke about, Kieran Berry was outstanding in this one. Mm. Um, Nick Philpo came off the bench and hit five three-pointers, which was uh, unbelievable. Um, you know, the, the, the shot he hit to win the game, I don't think he could do it one out of 100. So congratulations <laughs> to him on that one. Um, mm. But look, on the on the sideline there, a brilliant last one minute and 12 seconds from Luke and uh, and Chris Clausen. Um, closed the game out exceptionally. Nine points in um, three possessions. Um, mm. That's you know, Reggie Miller-type legendary stuff. So congrats to mm. them and uh, was very quick to, to send both of them a message and congratulate them on their first win in the SBL. I was very proud of them. What was it like for you? Was it what was it like? Because obviously, for, for anyone who hasn't been tuning into this show, you were going to be coaching the East Perth Eagles for the SBL season. That didn't quite pan out. Um, what, what was it like for you going to their home court to play them in this first game? Oh, it was, it was great. I walked in, and you know, the lady behind the counter said, "G'day, and how are you going, and what's going on?" Yep. And then had a good chat to to Tim and Carl, the the president, and vice president, and you know, how they going, and how's it all looking, and um, you know, it's just a game of basketball, and. Again, as I said, you know, really good mates with Luke and 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 with um, with Chris, and was just proud of them for for what they did. And again, the time I spent with those boys was was excellent, and it was just great great okay. to see them getting an opportunity. So, um, yeah, never going to begrudge someone winning a game like that. That was just um, that was just great basketball. So, no, very very good, very good. Um, now, last game on Friday night up at HBF Arena. It's very strange to be talking about a Joondalup Wolves team that isn't coached by Ben Etridge, but it's even stranger probably to talk about a Redbacks team not coached by Nick Lakovic. But but here we are, and a first up win for the Wolves, ninety eight to eighty over the Redbacks. And as we talked about, their two big signings, Cummings and Roberts, they they were prob- probably the difference. 
Yeah, and look, uh, it probably went a bit against the grain given the expectations that we have of this Redbacks team. Yeah. Um, probably the thing that jumped out to me was they gave up 98 points, which is uh, not great. Um, and, mm. you know, the old firm up there of Trian, Seba, Einmunger and uh, and Huntington, and then you chuck in Lockie Cummings and Lee Roberts, that's a very formidable lineup. So um, I think probably the Wolves um, deservedly, uh, but the Redbacks not not alarm bells, but, um, you know, you wouldn't be happy with giving up 98 points in, in mm. that game. Yeah, for sure. And then first up on Saturday, we're back to the Redbacks. They, they bounced back down in Mandurah against the Magic and, and got, got a win 83 to 72. Yeah, and look, probably a bit closer than the Redbacks wanted, you know, having played the mm. night before and a chance to work out those little kinks. Um, might be indicative of some early chemistry issues that they, they're going to have. Um, you know, the question that I'll ask is, you know, what do Nelson and White and Gatorna and Tarfiti and Jackson all have in common? Um, and that's they all need to have the ball in their hand to be effective. Yeah. Um, sure. You know, if they don't have it, then they kind of tend to stand and watch. Um, and yep. one thing I know very well is that's not how CJ played and that's not how he mm. coached. So it's going to take them a little while to get into his system. Um, once they do and they get into that sharing the ball and working for each other, they're going to be fine. But... Um, one of the things you have to remember in this condensed season, everything's got to be times by two and a half. So mm. two losses on the weekend for us is really five losses. Yeah. One loss on yeah. the weekend is really is almost three. So they're in a bit of a hole at the moment. Um, and as I said, a team with that much expectations, they need to really get together and um, start to pull things all heading in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, they still won this game, but... 22 turnovers and only shooting three of 18 from three. Are you concerned by that? Oh, look, shooters are going to shoot. Um, yep. You know, guys like Caleb White and um, Marshall Nelson are known, you know, gunners from downtown. I, I think maybe a bit of ring rust. Um, put them, put them, you know, behind the behind the eight ball a little bit. Um, but again, I knowing those two t- sorts of guys and. The, the, the worst thing or the best thing that can happen to a shooter really is a bad game because they'll be back down the gym at 8 o'clock the next morning getting shots up. So I guarantee yeah. those guys are getting up extra shots and I'd be very surprised if they uh, they did it again. Then at Warwick Stadium on Saturday night as well, I was at this game and despite the scoreline, the Senators winning 98-50 to 50 over the Goldfields Giants, it was a, it was a more enjoyable game than, than that. Um, the Senators put on a, on a good show. Um, you know, you'd expect... Justin King and and Cody Ellis and Caleb Davis and and obviously 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 Wani to be able to play really well in, in this situation, but they did lose Colvin Rowe in the warm up. He injured his hamstring and and that that oh, was disappointing Jesus. for them. Yeah, so they were without him. But what that meant was that Ethan Elliott, fifteen year old kid who was thrown into the deep end to play his first game at this level and. And that just thrilled the crowd. The crowd got right behind him and it was just so exciting. He ended up hitting a couple of threes, scored 12 points and that was really exciting. And, you know, it was a lot of fun even though the Giants struggled. But the, I spoke to Wayne Craig after the game. He said he had five guys playing basically their first game at this level. And, you know, their two experienced guys are their two big guys, Major Garang and Mayo Malik, who I think as a combination big men they're going to be as good as anybody in this competition as we go along but outside of that they're they're small forwards and their guards are going to be very very young but i mean the positive is i mean these guys would never get the chance to do this if it was a normal SBL season because they would be be behind imports and be behind other interstate recruits. But the mistakes they made on Saturday night, 33 turnovers and you know looking a little bit out of 
their depth in four, five, six weeks' time, they're going to be used to this level, and all of a sudden they're going to be players at this level. And I think that's what is really exciting about some of these things we're seeing, even if you know they 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 do struggle on their first, first night or two. Yeah, and look, I think it's indicative for the Giants as to where their recruiting went this year. They knew they had two pretty decent um, bigs and mm. they went and recruited point guards and, and wings and, and that's what really let them down, you know, the, the ball handling and, and the shooting. So, But yeah, and, and really excited to, you know, a 15-year-old um, mm. coming in and having 12 points, that's that's the benefit of what we've got at the moment. And uh, again, we've said this in the past, the, the value of this tournament being at this time of the year uh, or at the end of the end of the SBL season, giving these younger guys uh, a chance to play, to take on these bigger roles, and also for a chance for clubs to promote some um, outstanding juniors and really invest in them. I would really, really love to see this tournament stick around in some form post the SBL season or the NBL one season finishing. Absolutely, absolutely. Now moving on, Lakeside Lightning seventy-seven. They, they got got one back for the semi-finals last year over the Geraldton Buccaneers sixty-nine. Yeah, look, I think um, as as we know, Jesse Hunt's just just back from overseas and and two weeks in quarantine. Probably, you know, the the road trip and the that two weeks caught up with him and didn't quite wasn't quite as productive. Um, yeah, and again, the old firm Yeah, the old firm of Lakeside. Um, you know, just that that time together um, showing through. Although no Michael Vigor is interesting for me. I'm not sure no, what the status was spoke- there. Yeah, I spoke to Dave after the game on Friday, and he said he was going to be rotating on double headers. So Mike would be playing one game, and then Andrew Ferguson would be playing the next. But they wouldn't be playing playing together. Okay, oh, interesting. Hmm. Well, I guess yeah. I guess that's sort of if that's going to keep um, Michael Vigor in the league for five games, and that's excellent. We want guys mm-hmm. playing. We'd much rather they did that than sit out. So um, yeah, look again, another opportunity to get get reps into Ferguson and and have him play with guys that he's probably going to play ten or fifteen years with. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, look, Lakeside. I think Jay Bowie's a real um, coup for them having him have stuck around during the um the the, the lockdown sort of stuff is um you know it's a massive advantage for them there. Now, the only time we saw these two teams on the weekend, Rockingham Flames beat the Coban Cougars 83-74. to Yeah, I think it was a flip side of what I predicted. Um, Jackson Hussey yeah. showed his why he's you know, one of the most sought-after point guards in the, in the league come every off-season. Um, good to see you know Luke Travers um, out there um, plying his trade and really, mm-hmm. really happy to see Travis Dern and um, yeah. Getting getting in and amongst it, I really rate that kid highly. And um, you know, you've got you know someone like Gavin Field out there. Um, you know, Dernan and Travers could be looking at him and saying, "That's the type of player we want to be like." So, um, yeah, look, good job for the Flames getting a, getting a win at home. Now, I think I think a win or a loss you probably could have taken, but I think you would have been a little bit disappointed by the final scoreline for your home game on Saturday night. Calamundry and Sun sixty eight lost to lost to the Wilson Tigers ninety six. Yeah, you know, you try and explain to to young players how to process different things, and you know, my thing always is you can you go home and you can be angry and you can stay up a little bit late and whatever it is you need to do to process it. But the next morning when the sun comes up, um, it's a new day. You've got to move on. And I think um, we were just so emotionally let down on Friday night. Um, and this mm. is what I was talking about. You know, it's, it's, this this break has affected everyone differently. Um, having such a young team. 
Uh, I think we were just so let down and we carried that into the first half and the Tigers came out. And I actually think that the Tigers played like they played against us in the first half. I think they were shooting something like 89% from the three-point line at one stage. It was just <laughs> unbelievable. Okay. Um, you know, they came out, they played discipline, under control. They got everything they wanted. But then in saying that, in the second half, we actually won the second half by two points and didn't give up a three-pointer. So... Mark had a very, very strong talk at halftime about what it means to put on an Eastern Suns um, jersey and the boys, to their credit, came out and made the adjustments. And second to that, our, our training session last night on Monday night was phenomenal. So, yeah, look, I think it's just a part of that learning curve. It might not be the results that we're learning. You know, these young guys are learning a lot about what it means to play a game of basketball, lose it, and then have to get up and play the next one. Opportunities that... Mm that aren't always there. So, uh, But, yeah, well done to the Tigers. They were they were phenomenal. Connor Minchin was unbelievable in that game. Yeah. Then on Sunday, Perry Lakes Hawks 71 beat the Goldfields Giants 65. Really happy to see the Giants put in a more competitive, competitive performance. But, gee, Perry Lakes, they jacked up 41 threes. So 37 of them all came from the corners. So um, something wow. that, that Paso's got them doing there, they were very much um, designed around penetrate and kick to those corners. Matt's... Um, Smitty and um, Purser and those sorts of guys were, were very good at that. Um, outs- yeah, look, the the duo of Malak and Garang um, very quickly will become the SPL versions of the Twin Towers. They are they're excellent. They, um, you know, their attack on the boards is ferocious. Uh, they attack the offensive glass as well. They're both long and athletic. There was a couple of times where one of them would be matched up on Ben Purser and he'd be instigating a pick and roll and the uh, other one would switch out and they had the footwork and, and all that just to stay in front. Um, you know, the, they've got themselves a couple of good ones there, and if they can get yeah. get the recruits right next year and put alongside them, um, they're going to be much much improved from um, from from last season. So yeah, good job to Creaky there. Yeah, t- totally agree. Um, last game of the round, East Perth Eagles lost to the Geraldton Buccaneers. 88-93. Really enjoyed this game. I was there. I'm really happy to see so many people there to watch. The the little grandstand there at, at Herb Graham was, was jam-packed, so I was really happy to, to see that. Happy to see East Perth come out and play with so much energy. They they came out came out and put the first 10 points on the board before Geraldton, Geraldton warmed up and, and Liam Hunt started to, to fire them up. But yeah, even when Geraldton got on top, the Bucks took over in the second quarter, but East Perth fought back really well in the third quarter, and we saw Shaquille Maharaj just take over the game. He put he ended up, the, ended up with 32 points for the game but 21 of them came in the third quarter and he wasn't just knocking down his threes but he was so aggressive taking the ball to the basket and drawing fouls too which which was probably even more impressive than his than his three point shooting for mine but but once once Liam and Jesse Hunt decided that the Bucks weren't going to lose in the last few minutes they just weren't going to lose those two just as a I mean Jesse is almost a carbon copy of Liam in so many ways so if you can imagine both of those going to work down low and with the passion that they play with and the way that they just fight for every possession you can imagine how tough that is to stop. So that's why I got the bucks over the line, but really, really enjoyable game. Yeah, and look, it's funny. We spoke about what spurred on the NCAA tournament, and it was looking at the East Perth Eagles of 1988 <laughs> playing mm. against the Jelton Buccaneers of 1989, and that was in the first round of this this matchup. Yep. So it's funny how the world turns. Um, yeah, Shaq, um, we didn't let him get off the chain against us, um, mm. and so that was good for us. Like it probably would have been a different game. Kieran Berry again, very good, 17.7 assists is outstanding. The, as I said, the Hunts are going to be a handful for every team as long as they're together. And the Mark Utley's favourite, Carter Cook, back in the league. The, uh, <laughs> yep. You know, he'll provide some veteran um, leadership. He'll probably win a game off his own hand somehow. Uh, but, yeah, great to see Carter Cook back in the league. Legend of the SBL. 
And of course, Aaron Ralph still playing his trade as well. Matt, Matty Wondenberg, I think, might only play a few home games for the Bucks this year. I don't think he'll be making the road trips. But Aaron Ralph still showing no signs of slowing down. He did a lot of the ball carrying duties, knocked down some big threes. So, so he's he's certainly going to be causing havoc in the league once again. Um, Massive first round of action, Ben. It's so exciting to have basketball back. But what's your overall take on on everything that we saw in in round one? I want to know how our tips went. Who who's up? Who's winning the tips? Just doing the the quick tally. I've got nine winners out of those results. You've got three. That's that's almost like going zero and two for the weekend too. It's going to be a long way to come back. Yeah, it's a big hole I'm in at the moment. I'm going to have to turn things around very quickly um, and, and maybe maybe look a little bit closer. Having those first round of games, I think, might help me a little bit. So, um, mm. But yeah, well done. Nine, nine on a weekend like that. Very well done. <laughs> yeah, no, very happy with that. So, so that's it for our round one action. When we come back, we'll have a look at round two in the West Coast Classic. Okay, back on SBL Shootaround, and it's now time for our second part of our chat with Andrew Vlahov. And it was a lot of fun talking to him last week, largely about his Redbacks team from 1990. But we we explore a few more different things now. Now this weekend in the second half of this conversation, talk about his Wildcats days, his Boomers days, what he's up to now. Talk about his son playing under CJ Jackson out of out of the Redbacks. Really looking forward to this, Ben. And I know how much fun you had talking to him, and it's so exciting that we can bring two weeks worth of Andrew Vlahov now to SBL Shootaround. I think that's probably the only way we could do uh, do the man justice. You know, he's uh, he's a podcast in his own, and then the stories that he has and the experiences that he has, just phenomenal. So, yeah, looking forward to sharing the, the second half of that one with everyone. Absolutely. Let's get straight to it. So much about your Wildcats career we could talk about. One thing I wanted to ask you about, though, when people now think about the passion and the heart of the Perth Wildcats, they think of you just because of your love for the club and, and how much the club means to you, even though you finished playing 18 years ago now, is your passion still just as strong? Because I, speaking of, of Sean Redditch, I, I was sitting down with him a while back because we're working on his book and he remembered back to his first first season at the club. They'd lost a, f- a few games early on and all of a sudden they got back home from a road trip. You called the team in and said, look, you guys are not playing like your Perth Wildcats players. You're, you're not doing the club proud. You need to start doing the club proud or... You're all, all out the door. And and that for you, that comes from your love and passion and pride in the club and making sure it stands for something. Is that still just as strong as strong today? Absolutely. <clears throat> I think when you're, when you're fortunate enough to belong to an organisation and, you know, when you talk about the, the standard that the Cats now uh, hold as a benchmark in the, in the league, that started with Kerry Stokes and that started uh, with a, um, a commitment to professionalism and the best. So if we weren't the best, it wasn't good enough. And for me, that was a, a brilliant environment to grow up in, um, but... Again, having the right type of players. I mean, we've made mistakes along the way, don't get me wrong, in terms of imports, but generally we've been very good about researching, um, you know, psychographics and team chemistry and making sure that we don't get bad eggs. And that that's, that's where I think most of these other clubs um, have fallen down over the years is that they... They try to um, create chemistry by buying a team. And it, and you might be successful every now and again, but in terms of long-term growth, it's like a blue-chip stock in the market. You know, it has all the metrics are there. It's got great management, um, great ownership. Um, so the recipe for success gets there, and then you add in the right type of players. So the leadership is important, and Damien Martin, again, is exemplary. 
free of that. Um, Ricky Grace, you know, Mike Ellis, all those guys that have led the club were, were chosen because they are great leaders and they embody what I think is the true spirit of our, our club, which is serious competitiveness year in, year out. I'm glad you mentioned Damien Martin there. Obviously, he's just announced his retirement, so there's a great, great time to ask you about him. Where does he sit in your mind in terms of the, the greats of the, the Perth Wildcats? Yeah, well, he's up there. <laughs> when you talk about a pantheon, um, he's, he's in there for sure. He's, uh, um, most people don't understand kind of the, the importance of Damien because of you know they don't see him with a you know a brilliant shot or a high scoring record, but mm. people that know basketball understand the intangibles that he brings on the court and in the locker room, and that is equally as important, if not more important, than the ability to you know have a pretty jump shot. So I, I rate him highly. Um, he's a person of integrity and character, an ideal captain. You know, he's as competitive as, as you can possibly get as a human, I think. And it shows, and that rubs off on the team, on the court and off the court. We've we've spoken to a few people along the way, and um, I, I'm trying to rack my brain as to who we were speaking to the other week. It's very, very clear that you know, the, the Andrew Blahop way is, is intertwined into everything that the Wildcats do. And again, a very humble man, and the fact that you haven't mentioned your own name in that, as far as the importance in the captains that, that set that standard. But I would sort of have you, you know, probably in that early years when you took over as the captain being the one that really drove that home. But was there ever, ever a chance when it wasn't going to be black and gold or as it is now red running through those Wahoff veins? Was there ever the offers or the, the inkling that the East Coast might be um, somewhere that you might go and ply your trade? Uh, before I signed with Wildcats, yes. The Wildcats did not seem to... Um really want me. Uh, I finished that SBL uh, season and went back to complete my degree in at the end of 1990 and they had just won the championship and um, I would be getting daily messages because um, in those days there was no email but phone calls. I reckon Bobby Turner rang me three times a week from the Sydney <laughs> Kings, the guy from Canberra, um, Bruce Palmer from North Melbourne. So the, all those three clubs had made serious and legitimate financial offers to me before the Wildcats even made an offer um, okay. and then and then when the when the Wildcats made their offer and that it was done while I was at college they ranked fourth and so I was virtually headed to North Melbourne to play for uh, Bruce Palmer and play with uh, the fish um, wow. yeah and um, <clears throat> I think the club, um, and my, my memory might be a bit sketchy, but you could probably ask Grace. He, he might know a bit more about this, but they sent the general manager over, and I remember Grace coming to see me in college, and um, and he said that this guy, Derek, is uh, is waiting outside, and he said he's not leaving until you sign. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, it took a little bit of a little bit more convincing, I think, but um, the, uh, the Wildcats moved up the ranking. Um, it still wasn't the best financial offer for me, but I felt like on balance um, it, it was competitive and the fact that I got to play for my you know the team that I idolized growing up um, I was at the very first Wildcats game that that, that that was a dream come true for me so in the end um, it wasn't about money it was about the love of being in Perth and and playing for for the Cats fans that's uh, I think that 
that's brilliant, and it, it sums up the first the first thing that we spoke about this morning was how much you enjoyed being around your family and the fact that having your family around you. I think that's a that's a, a massive tie and shows a massive uh, amount of of what the man is about in that that playing for for the, for your home state in front of your family, family being such an important part of your life. That's um that's massive. Yeah, no, like it, it, you can't put a price on that, and ultimately it was it was. It was always going to happen, and I'm I'm so, so glad it did. Speaking of yeah. your family, yeah. I, I've seen Ethan play at the Perth Redbacks. Ben's coached against him. Um, what's it like for you now, watching your son out there on the court? Well, a lot of fun. Um, he, uh, they just had their first league game, and I think he's actually got uh, two this weekend uh, for SPL. So yeah. <laughs> He's still pretty young, just turned twenty. He is a shooter um, predominantly, and you know, not as not as tall as me, so he's he's more a two man. But yeah, just a, I guess a lot of pride. Seen him when he was a you know six year old kid carrying around. Uh, in fact, it was court eight on. I think uh, he had his first game in Perry Lakes when he was about six years old, mm-hmm. uh, and seeing him you know playing uh, playing uh, SPL now is is just fabulous. Yeah, a, a great deal of pride. Now, and do you ever grab uh, C- CJ's ear and, and have a little chat to him, or is you, 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 do you leave that to the uh, to the professionals, as we'll say, to sort of you know take care of business? No, oh, no, I would stay out of that. Um, CJ is a very good coach. We both coached um, our son, so Ethan and Denzel played um, when we coached the uh, Perry Lakes Horse team to a to a championship in the shit under fourteen or sixteen. Or can't remember now, but um, yeah. CJ has been a lifelong friend and, um, you know, if uh, I was going to trust my development of my son to, to anybody, um, CJ's right up there. So, I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen CJ coach a senior men's game for a while, so I'll be I'll be interested to see. He's obviously evolved as a coach. Um, he was a very good player and a very good teammate, but I'll be, uh, I'll be watching with interest on the weekend. Yeah, I'll, I'll sort of give you from experience having CJ as a coach and you know, if they've, um, if you, you're going to look and listen and, and give CJ the, the respect, which I'm sure, uh, your young bloke is, um, CJ's a great man to have in your, in your corner. You'll fill him with confidence. And if, especially if you're a shooter, that was CJ's game. Get the ball to the shooters, um, let them do their job. Um, and he, he knows that that makes him look good. So, um, if shooters are full of confidence, then, um, CJ's the man to sort of, you know, help him along the way. Yeah, no. And, um, I, I 100% agree with that. Like I said, he's a outstanding human being and, even going back, I'll tell you a funny story about CJ though. When he first came to Australia, had his first two games with us, he scored zero and two points. And I told the coach, "We've got a dud. Let's get rid of him." <laughs> and then Luke That's and I come up a few times. Then, then Luke and I went away to Australia training or something, and he had a triple double. And I, when I was speaking to the coach, I said, "Are you sure, man? Is this the right same bloke?" <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and he was just nervous, like any young man coming out of America. But um, anyway, found his feet well and truly. And uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, I'm not a very good judge of characters after the first two games because I had a word to, <laughs> to Rob Beveridge about Kevin Lee Are you sure this bloke's going to be big enough for the SP, for the NBL? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm a I'm a terrible judge of talent. <laughs> Although in, in CJ's defence, he he did bring up that story. He said that his first, he was a bit shaky in those first couple. I think he said maybe his first game he didn't make a shot, but um, yeah, he he was the first person to mention that. Um, yeah, he did, as a lot of imports do. Um, you know, it's it is a big change. It is a it's a 
not a massive culture shock, but um, you do, you're getting thrust into that cauldron a little bit where back then, as you're saying, a thousand people turning up to, to watch a game, um, you know, the, the pressure is on to perform when you're in that position. Yeah, no, he, he had it. And he had it even worse because I wouldn't pass it to him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've talked about your accomplishments, Andrew, and when I spoke to Leonard Copeland, I started to run down his resume and he said, stop there, I'm a Hall of Famer and that's all that matters, that's all you need need to say. How proud are you to say that you're a Hall of Famer as well? Oh, I'm certainly proud, but that doesn't probably rank up there in terms of what maybe Coach thinks it is, but... um, it, it's a great honour, but you know I, I would probably put my um, my Australian team stuff above that, and then you know actually just playing on championship teams yeah. was, was probably would rank more special to me than being a, a Hall of Famer. But again, it's Hall of Fame is really is really good because it's a recognition across history. And again, um, I love it, but you know I wouldn't have said stop there. <laughs> <laughs> no, well I mean you have a look at everything you've done. Since you stopped playing, and even since you stopped, you know, being in charge of the Wildcats, and I would say in some ways you've been just as busy, if not more busy. And we talked about travel; you've probably done more, if not as much travel since you've stopped playing over these last fifteen years. What What's it been like becoming, I guess, a businessman? And how much? You, how, what have What have you enjoyed about about this new phase of phase of your life? Well, travel. You know, post basketball, I actually did travel more than um, than during the season. So um, I've been to China forty six times in ten years. Um, so that's a, that's a lot. Uh, Indonesia probably fifteen, and Singapore fifteen. Um, so a lot of, a lot of travel, but it's been fantastic actually learning about other cultures and figuring out. Um, you know, for me particularly. Sort of, I was in that phase working below the radar in um, in connecting companies from Australia to China and Chinese companies back here uh, and Indonesian companies back here. So I made a lot of good friends and contacts up there um, that that I'm sure um, you know they've they've had good experiences uh, in Australia like I've had good experiences with them. So it's been fun. It's um, it's the one thing when you retire as a player, I think, and you're a competitive person that you look for something to do like that. Some people find it in golf. Some people find it in cycling. Um, I've always found that um, the utilisation of my brain as a as an asset, um, rather, you know, on you know on the floor, I felt like I had a, a fairly good basketball IQ, and then when you translate that into a corporate environment. Um, you know, you, you have some wins and losses in that, but when you figure out what you're good at, um, you know, that's what I enjoy the most is um, probably strategic analysis of, of companies, where they can improve and how they can improve um, and um, being able to institute those things and see those things come to fruition um, is is something special, you know. Um, that's, that's the part that I think is... I've been fortunate that, the drive of competitive play has been replaced with um, the challenge of proving yourself off the floor um, just as much. What are you working on right now? What's keeping you busy? I'm the CEO of Reconciliation WA um, and um, four months into the, into that appointment. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazingly um, rewarding journey, to be frank with you. Um, one of the things that 
uh, most people like me that came from, you would call it a white privilege background. And when you talk about white privilege, we're not talking about um, multi-millionaire people. We're talking about middle-class Australia compared to the challenges that have faced uh, First Nations people, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, for many, many years. And we just don't understand the um, the depth, I guess, um, of of some of the things that we, we brush over. Um, and it's and I think it's really good, I think, that our community now is, there's, I, I sense a bit of an awakening towards um, properly uh, not only respecting but empathising situations for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So I'm passionate about making that a difference um, and bringing, you know, my, I guess, collection of experience and networks um, to help that process along because I think it's, I think it's uh, overdue, number one, and number two, I think it's really important for the West Australian community to have um, that great relationship because when you when you actually study the culture, you will just be simply amazed. Um, it'll blow your mind. Um, we, I'll give you one example. Aboriginal people were sustainably farming, um, cropping, grain storage, 50,000 years in front of the Egyptians. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And most people don't know that because we don't get taught that in schools. So without, you know, without giving you guys a history lesson, we, we, we are part of the oldest living culture in the world and we need to understand that more deeply and what that actually means. And then, you know, you, you will, you'll, you'll go on a personal journey and we call it a reconciliation journey. Um, you, you will be personally rewarded and, um, your personal development will will benefit 100%. No, that's a fantastic thing. Yeah, uh, yeah I've, I've done a little bit of this through um, <clears throat> through school and um, I'm a school teacher and there's, there is a big push, as you're saying now, to to actually be teaching our kids in the classrooms <clears throat> of the culture and, and um, you know, the, the, the reconciliation part and, and all that. And from a, a coaching standpoint, um, a lot of the stuff that I used to do was – we looked at the the All Blacks and the Maori culture, and we used the things that they had in their culture to sort of bring into even business. There's books about the you know, the, the All Blacks first fifteen and all that that are in business. And in in studying the Indigenous culture, I I, I realised that their their family set up and their methods of um, transferring knowledge and everyone having a different role within their their family structure and their community structure. Were ten times more powerful and more tangible to us in Australia than when we look at these cultures that are. We think these cultures outside of Australia are, are, are better for some reason. And I found it really powerful to sit down in a meeting with with a team and say, "Well, this is you know, this is coming from the the indigenous culture." And you you got uh, you'd have an indigenous boy in, in the room or in in your team, and you can you can see them um, actually. And it's almost like they're they can see you're respecting. They're fifty thousand years behind them, and that makes such a big difference for them. But it also opens up that that whole thing that, um, as you say, we, we're part of the, the oldest living um, culture that is, and, and uh, they were very good at what they were doing. And we need to take from them rather than continually, you know, brushing over it. I guess so. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Well, Andrew, this has been a hell of a treat for us. Thanks so much for giving us so much of your time. Um, before we let him go, Ben, have you got one last question you'd like to fire his way? 
Yeah, look, again, you know, someone that hung hung your hat always on um, on playing defence, I guess, and doing those intangibles, although we, we do know you could fill it up. Um, well, I'm interested to know who was your toughest opponent that, who does Andrew Vlahoff put up there as the person that they, um, you know, love going into battle against because they knew it was going to be, be, be a tough, tough competition. Uh, that's a good question, and I've been asked this before, and I'll give you the, the same answer. So internationally, I had the, the privilege to try and guard Oscar Schmidt um, from Brazil. Okay, yep. He was just a phenomenal player, and, and I managed to probably do reasonably well against him in the 1990 Worlds. But um, and that game was an important game for Australia to get into the to the upper echelon. But the, the toughest opponent for me. <clears throat> Uh, was Mark Brecky. Um So, you know, I didn't spend that much time on, on Drewy uh, chasing him around uh, from a from a guard perspective because mm-hmm. we, had a, we had a different theory, uh, I think, to most with um, when we played against the Melbourne Tigers and, and we felt like Andrew Gaze would get whatever it is he was going to get, um, try to limit it as much as possible, but... The way to beat them is to actually focus on the other four. Um, yes, and you know, Copes, Copes again was a, a tremendous talent. And but you know, Melbourne Tigers won jack shit until uh, Mark Brakey arrived, and um, he provided the actual defensive backbone, the discipline on defence, and the leadership in that group that was missing. Um, and Drewy, you know, it was is a is a, a phenomenal scorer, but he he could not take that uh, to the next level without Mark. So I always felt like my um, my greatest challenge in, in the NBL was always to outplay Mark, um, you know, at both ends of the floor, and that rarely happened. <laughs> um, he, he's a, he was, you know, a good mate and, and a phenomenal player. Um, so, yeah, he was, he was my toughest, toughest cover. Okay, yeah, and again, Drew's essentially not playing the same position either. He's a, a, a big five, um, and you're sort of playing that power forward position. So playing out of position, I guess that's a, it would have been a huge challenge. Yeah, it was. I gave up, you know, uh, three, four <laughs> inches to him. And, yeah. But I think Hurley uh, particularly used to want me to play on him because I knew Mark's game. Uh, you know, I saw him, yeah. I saw him play... In Maroochydore, his first national championships in 1986, I think it was. Uh, okay. 85, 16 year old kid, skateboarder, had a mullet, um, <laughs> six ten, and 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 just a an athlete like you, you don't see very often. And um, yeah, could definitely. He, he was just raw talent, absolute raw talent, um, and it was fun. And that's when our friendship sort of started then. We went on to national team camps with him and Luke and formed a really good bond. That's brilliant. Good answer. Okay, last one from me. And this has been an ongoing discussion I've been having having with Sean. So it's a little bit of a trick question, but it's especially relevant now that Damien Martin has retired. Which, Which jersey do you think will be the next one retired by the Perth Wildcats? What, after Damien Martin? Well, the, the next one. Which one do you think is the next one going up into the rafters? That's a very good question. Um, and again, it's it'll come down to criteria um, because there are guys that won multiple championships that aren't up there. Um, I don't know. I, I think um, 
that person may be um, playing today, um, and I won't name them, but um, I think there's a chance uh, that that person may very well um, be up there as well. So, so you think before Sean or Damo? I think Sean will be up there. You have to have a certain number of years out. Um, and then two years from now, it'll be Damien, I'm sure. Um, then after that, I'll say who knows. But I think they're playing in the team today. No, I think we all know who you're talking about. So if that's the next three, if we go Sean, Damo, and then that player, I think that's a pretty handy next three to go up. I think so too. So we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, there's some strange decisions that get made at times, and it's been a long time since since anyone's jersey has been hung up there, but your number 21 is up there and always will be, and it's been a hell of a hell of a lot of fun to speak to you on SBR Shootaround. In, you, you've been incredibly generous to give us so much of your time, and yeah, yeah thank very you. appreciative, and thanks very much for joining us. A pleasure, gentlemen. Have a good day. Thanks, Andrew. You too. Thanks All very right, much. Take it easy. There's almost no words that can explain how much we appreciate Andrew Vlahov joining us on SBL Shoot Around. That was that was so much fun for him to not only talk to us, but to give up so much of his time and to be so open and frank with us about everything. I know it was a it was a dream dream for you to have to have him on our podcast, Ben, and he he well and truly delivered, didn't he? A great man. Um, uh, experiences across every level of basketball. He talked to us about his juniors, talked about us SBL, NCAA, NBL. And, and and his boomer's career, you know, spanning so many different levels of basketball and then involvement as a as an administrator and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, just blown away with, with the stories that he was able to share and, and I hope everyone's enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I hope so too. And and the work he's doing now in the Indigenous field with Reconciliation WAI, I know it's something that you spoke to him about just then that he's close to your heart and I know that some of the work I do is involving covering Indigenous sport and, and athletes as well and it's something that's that's close to both of us. So, so I really enjoyed him talking about that as well. But let's get moving. Round two of the West Coast Classic this weekend. We've got another, another massive jam-packed schedule, so let's get straight to it. Friday night, Perth Redbacks' first home game at Belmont for the season up against the Coburn Cougars. Oh, I might have to send CJ a message and tell him to get those boys fired up. So I'm going to pick the Redbacks in this one. Um, first home game. And like I said, I uh, don't expect the Redbacks to shoot as poorly from the three-point line again. Yeah, I'll, I'll go the Redbacks as well. Southwest Slammers. Another home game on a Friday night down in Eden. Not not sold on that as, a, as a, an idea for the long haul. But nevertheless, they host the Rockingham Flames. Yeah, I think Rockingham might be a little bit too much for them down there, even though it is on the road. So I'll go Rockingham in this one. Yep, flames for me too. That's making it tough for you to catch up already. Then we got Wilton Tigers back on their new on their new show court up against the Mandarin Magic. Yeah, as I said, I think they've got the got the rust out. I think the Tigers will be too much for the Magic in this one. Unfortunately, I agree. Unfortunately for you, that is. Um, yeah. Lakeside Lightning at home to the Perry Lakes Hawks. Now this one, this one is a is a toss of the coin. So by that, we said Ferguson was out, so Vigor is in, so I'll go Lakeside for this one. It's interesting. They don't have a doubleheader this weekend, so maybe both will play. It might be only when they have a doubleheader that it's only a one-in, one-out, so we'll okay. wait, and see. wait and see who turns up. Well, if they're, if they're both in, I think they, that size might be a bit too much for the Hawk. Yeah, Matt does, <laughs> does make them massive. Um, I'll go Perry Lakes, just because they, they started off pretty well last weekend. Now, Saturday night, Goldfield Giants back home for their first game in Kalgoorlie for the season. I don't think, given your knee situation, you'll be making the trip, but the rest of your Calamundra Eastern Suns will be. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, we'll bounce back. Uh, I don't know if Mark's ever lost uh, three games in a row. So mm. I know 
Monday night's review was pretty intense, and um, the boys are boys are ready and primed, I think, for a, for a win up there. Yeah, whoever slips to Iron Three, it's almost almost curtains given you need to finish in the top four in this competition, and that's four out of fourteen teams. So it's a, a big hole to crawl out of. I just think I, th- I like what Creaky's building at the Giants, but I just think they're too young. So I'm going to stick with Kalamunda for that one as well. Now, Rockingham Flames backing up. They're back on their home court, hosting the Geraldton Buccaneers. So it's tough for the Bucks because their their first three weeks are all on the road. As as right now, back home in Geraldton, their stadium doesn't have a roof on it. So that that means they can't really play 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 at home. So they've got a few weeks on the road. So interesting how they how they back it up. I'm going to go the Bucks in this one. I think mm. uh, another week under their belt uh, for Carter Cook and um, and Jesse Hunt. We'll only see them in in much better stead. And um, Liam Hunt. Uh, again, we know the force that he is, so mm. I'll go with the Bucks in this one. Now I might go the Flames at home. Another tricky one. Mandurah Magic back at home, still trying to get their first win up against the East Perth Eagles. Yeah, I, I really liked what I saw out of East Perth. Um, I think that they perhaps could have got a bit more production out of Joel Offerings. Uh, I know he rolled his yep. ankle in the game against us, and also Jared Anastasio showed some stuff mm-hmm. to me, uh, six foot nine and super athletic, you know, things that we'd spoken about. He was really putting it into play. So I think a l- little bit too much with Kieran Berry and, and Shaq, and um, a bit too much size with um, uh, Jared and, and Joel Offerings down low. Mm-hmm. Next up, we've got the Warwick Senators at home to the Southwest Slammers. Mike Ellis against Mark Worthington as coaches. That's that's tantalising in its own right. Well, it is. It is. I wonder if um, Peter Feast will challenge James Fitch to an assistant coach <laughs> shootout. That would be interesting yeah. as well. So, uh, But, yeah, I'll go Warwick in this one. Yep. Uh, Coburn Cougars at home to the Junior Love Wolves. I think the, the Wolves, uh, Wolves will get that one. This one probably looks to me the game of game of the night. Perry Lakes Hawks against the Perth Redbacks. Yeah, so I picked Lakeside the first one, but I'll go yep. with uh, Perry Lakes in this one. I think Perry Lakes is a good matchup for them. The the size aspect isn't as big. Tafiti's not the um, the vigor or, or Ferguson. So I think Perry Lakes Ben Purser running the um, point centre as he is mm. at the moment. So uh, Perry Lakes in this one. Unfortunately, no Brian Carwell for the Redbacks, so we won't get to see him playing against his old team. But Tevin Jackson will play against his old team, so that adds a little bit of interest. But yeah, I, I really like the way Perry Lakes is shaping up so far. So. I can't go against the Hawks until I've got reason to. The round finishes Sunday, up at Joondalup. Grand final rematch, Joondalup Wolves against the Geraldton Buccaneers. This is an interesting one because the Wolves have got a short turnaround there. They've sort of got to plan back up from a, a, Coburn, a Coburn game, which is generally a, a tough one down there. Mm. And then, you know, Sunday, you know, Sarah, Robbie, you know, Trian, they're, they're not young men anymore. So, but the Bucks, on the other hand, happen to travel and play the night before as well. So very, very close, but I'll, I'll tip, tip the Wolves getting over the line in this one. Yeah, similar to my thoughts on Prairie Lakes. Until I've got reason to tip against the Wolves, I just won't won't be doing it. So I'll go go for the Wolves. But I'll be very surprised if the Bucks go zero and two on a road trip. They don't do that very often. So no. Yeah. So they might go against one of my tips there, but we'll wait and see. Um. So that plenty to look forward to there. That's an exciting fixtures of round two action again to look forward to in the West Coast Classic. This has been another episode that's been a hell of a lot of fun to put together. Hopefully, it's been just as much fun for you to listen to. Great. It was great to go through those three simulated games. Of our grand final series between the Redbacks of 1990 and the Mustangs of 1991. Great to have a look at everything involved in the first week of the West Coast Classic. And of course, it was just incredible to hear more from Andrew Vlahov. So I'll wrap it up for another week. I'm Chris Pike and leave you with Ben Etridge.
just excellent to see basketball back and, and everyone around the basketball stadiums. I know, you know East Perth had a great crowd at our game. We had a great crowd at our game. Uh, excellent to see so many of the, the younger players that perhaps haven't been able to, to get these opportunities and really excited to see how they progress. And uh, also great to see you know some, some new coaches in the league really getting their, their feet wet and, and, and getting experience and, and having success, which is what we want. We want you know great young players coming through and great young coaches coming through as well. So really exciting times and I'm um, looking forward to seeing some great results on the weekend.